Shake and Blake presents Pressure Point and Trial. Welcome to this, another episode of Shake and Blake, a podcast about Blake 7, as hosted by Earth2.net and indeed GeekPlanetOnline.com. I am one of your hosts, Ian Wilson, and I'm joined by the other host, who is Dave Probert. Hello there! Hi, hello Dave, how are you? I'm very well, sir, how are you doing? I've had a very good month. Um, I thought I wouldn't because I was missing out on going to the Reading Festival this year, uh, but instead I had some quality time at home in the East Midlands, and uh, I've I've been promoted at work as well, so um, so that's nice. Excellent. Uh, in fact, today 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 was my very first day doing new things, so all a bit so, of a. So what have they made you a fully fledged lawyer now? Oh God, no. <laughs> with my lack of training no 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 uh, they, they've got me on as a, a paralegal and uh, if I want to progress from there I have to actually learn about law but um, interesting I took the job on because I needed money in order to pay off my MA which is the original reason I, I moved up to Newcastle my MA in museum studies so right. to try and pursue the career that I want to do I have to progress in a career that I don't necessarily want to do, but it makes a lot of financial sense to do so, but would probably involve more studying. Um, that's the crazy way my life works, somehow. I, I will all remember that the day you get made a judge. <laughs> Good Lord, if that ever happened. <laughs> God, have, God have mercy on us all. <laughs> I call before the stand, Mr. David Probert. Oh, go easy, Gav. <laughs> the wife and kids are home. Guilty. Damn it. <laughs> yes. So, yes. So, a, a good month. Yes. And here's, here's hoping the next few are just as good. Excellent stuff. So, should we, should we dip into some emails? Oh, have we got no more news? No more news, sadly, no. Oh, no. Not that I'm aware of. Oh, I, I much prefer the news section to the emails. <laughs> I would like to point out that the feedback war was your idea. I'd like to point out that I didn't think no one on Earth 2 had seen Blake 7 before I raised the suggestion. <laughs> Curses. <laughs> Although, as I said, I, I had gone home and I did meet up with the treacherous Patterson. Um, oh, well. not, not, not to mention Mr. Fisher, but that's another story. Um, and he'd been ill for two weeks. Ever since, uh, he opened the door to see a mincing, part-cybernetic man uh, dance in front of him. <laughs> so let that be a lesson to you, 
listeners, if you ever cross me, ever, a Travisogram will be coming to you. And if you've been really naughty, it'll be a cosplay Travisogram. Indeed. <laughs> the worst kind of Travisogram. <laughs> On the sliding scale of Travisogram. <laughs> yeah. There's him. There's cosplay Travis. There's cosplay Travis dressed as Serverland. <laughs> oh, God. I've got to stop there. Cause yeah, good. <laughs> okay. Um, shall I go first? It's your turn. As per usual. Okay. Uh, well, I've got uh, three emails from people with uh, feedback for the actual episodes we're discussing, so we'll save those for when we get there. You've won. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I also have a, uh, a bit of feedback from Gillian Coyle, my, my good lady and co-host of the Babylon Project podcast. I see. She says, hello, boys. See, no nepotism here. Uh, but, uh, admirably neutral, Miss Coyle. Yes. <laughs> she says, I've checked and can confirm that the web is still shit. <laughs> Have a good podcast, Gillian. P.S. Avon rules. P.P.S. Repressure point. Sob. P.P.P.S. The web is still shit. True. Love you, honey. <laughs> Why, thank you, Dave. Um, <laughs> but yes, good email, Gillian. Um, <laughs> covering covering all the important points. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, to the Earth 2 inbox, then, sir. Well, I, I can at least match you for this very moment. In that <laughs> you read out one email. Uh, but, again, I always appreciate it, no matter how small a volume it is, as long as it saves me for the ignominy of nothing at all, then that is the main <laughs> thing. So... It's not spam, is it? No, 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 no. It's from... It's an advert for Viagra or something. <laughs> I wish. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is from uh, a new listener, to my knowledge, uh, a chap called Terry Mitchell. Well, I, I assume a chap. You never know these days. Some of those names that could be I of a person. But uh, anyway, it's Terry Mitchell. <laughs> uh, and hopefully they don't mind the fact that I've mixed up their gender. Uh, so I'll just move swiftly on. And they say, Hello from Pittsburgh. Just wanted to send... Hello, Pittsburgh. <laughs> Hi there, Pittsburgh. How are you? Uh, just wanted to send an email to help out the Earth 2 counts. I enjoy the show so very much. It is one of the podcasts that keeps me from digging up my brain to make the pain of my workday stop. So that's a relief. Um... <laughs> Much like the other Americans who listen to your show, I have yet to see one episode. If... And yet you still emailed in, and God bless you for that, sir. God bless you. Indeed. If the BBC would put them out on DVD slash Blu-ray, I would get them from Netflix. This is based on the insane pricing of said round movie discs. I thank you for your time. Pip-pip, Terry Mitchell. So thank you, Terry. Yes, thank you very much, Terry. And as as an avid, uh, as a, a now avid user of Love Film, which I believe is the British Netflix, um, yeah. I'd like to, I'd really like to hope that that might be one way of getting the show over to people, even if it wouldn't have like a full 
DVD release, so maybe it could be available yes. to stream or something like that. Yes, absolutely. That'd be great if that could happen. Mm. I mean, I know there are still some episodes kicking about on YouTube. All oh, right. Okay. Uh, but maybe because that's where I get a lot of our sound clips from. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, but I mean, Blake Seven is available on Love Film and um, kicking around for something to do a few weeks ago. I actually wrote a, a review of uh, Series 1 having gone on this journey. Um, although, uh, one of the rules was you're not allowed to shill or plug anything. Um, right. So I, I, sim- I simply said for podcast-related activities. But, you know, my name was on there, so, you know, search for Blake 7 Podcast and me, and you, you're going to come up with Shake and Blake. Absolutely. So... Here's hoping that gets us some more listeners. And me some more emailers. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Okay, so should we uh, dive into the first episode, then? Absolutely. We've done it! We've done it! We've done it! I've done it! Blake, there's nothing here. There's nothing So, the first episode we're covering today is Pressure Points. One of the saddest things I've ever watched. (laughs) Not to give away my thoughts. So, um... Essentially, we start off on a planet, a planet called Earth, uh, which we haven't seen since the very beginning of the show. And essentially, we have uh, two resistance people stalking a house who are uh, under orders to report uh, for their leader known as Kasabi. And inside said building, or nearby said building... um, is Servalan, Cosplay Travis, and a Mutoid. Uh, the first Mutoid of this season, I believe. I think you may be right, actually, yes. Um, who spots them on one of the scanners. And Travis, Cosplay Travis, immediately reckons, right, that's it, that proves my theory. And Servalan, in her white outfit and hat, um, which is almost <laughs> the most eye-catching thing about the outfit... A, a very, <laughs> it's a great hat. It's a very bright white, broad-rimmed hat. Um, and uh, she's not as infused, mainly because they've been on one of uh, Travis's legendary uh, stop-outs, where he likes just to wait and do nothing for days on end uh, in order to catch his prey. His prey, rather than reporting to Kasabi, venture forwards towards the building and uh, suddenly blow up. So, yes. <laughs> so that's a spectacle. Um, meanwhile... Goodbye to the two minor characters who I dubbed in my notes Knobhead and Pussy. <laughs> um, for those of you playing along at home, they're actually called Arlenberg. Uh, but if you want to look out for the end credits for Arsehole and Pussy, then um, by all means... Because um, one of them spends all their time being a jerk because they've been ordered to go only so far. Go, no, let's keep going. It's, I'm sure everything will be fine. And the other one's like, I don't want to go in there. It's, it's, 
it's like he's being accompanied by Shaggy from Scooby Doo. <laughs> Actually, one of them sounded very much like Gan. You think? Yeah. Okay. Well, partially because my file wasn't of the best of quality at the very beginning, so I had to kind of struggle to make it out. But uh, either way, I should be speeding up this synopsis. So, we're on the Liberator, and um, Blake and Callie triumphantly announce that they're returning to Earth, and the rest of the crew are somewhat shocked and dismayed, apart from Avon, who kind of blithely predicted it. And... Um, Blake's noted that uh, the best way to hit the Federation is to hit something they installed 200 years ago at the beginning of their power, which is like a a really main central computer complex. And uh, it's one that the Federation actively seem to advertise. And Blake, in kind of his uh, fervorous opposition zeal, goes, it's a challenge, a challenge for me. And with Orak giving me all the information I need, I think that I can destroy it. Me, Rog Blake. <laughs> oh, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong there at all. Do. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so all previous attempts have failed, but Blake, because he buys into the cult of himself, um, essentially reckons, right, we're going to do this. Uh, to which Avon's response is to very dryly clap uh, this uh, speech. It, it, it is a quality bit of slow clapping. <laughs> it is. Uh, anyway, so um, Blake actually understands his crew being a tad reluctant and says he doesn't actually expect too much additional help because he's been in touch with the resistance leader on Earth, who is uh, the aforementioned Kasabi. However... Kazabi is not very good as a rebellion leader. Um, not so much that all her troops are dressed in 20th century camouflage, and therefore it's wildly out of date. But um, they're also spotted immediately on uh, the scanners in the trees. Um, and uh, she's being watched by Servalan, uh, who notes uh, to... I think it's to Travis, or I have a feeling there was someone else in there as well. Um, There's a mutoid hanging around in the background. <laughs> there we go. Um, that Kasabi was once, um, a, you know, an officer within the Federation, except she was feeding all the cadets she was training the truth about the Federation, but, you know, ultimately hoping that they they could bring it down from within. Until one of her cadets... Doctor into the authorities. That cadet being Servalan, of course. Um, as such, Kasabi to Servalan is seemingly what Blake is to Travis, i.e. the person that they are personally invested in taking down, which actually leads to quite a fun line uh, later on when cosplay Travis shouts at her, this is no time for personal vendettas. The man who is defined by his personal <laughs> Either way, um, just as Blake's crew agrees to go with him, on the proviso that he promises it for it not to be a suicide mission, uh, in fact, Avon even agrees to go with him, uh, Kusabi manages to get captured because she somehow manages to miss Servalan and her white hat just standing up the hill in a forest. 
and um, tells her followers to run, uh, only for them to get gunned down, which is normally not the resistance leader way of things, but never mind. Um, so Zevlan attempts torturing Kasabi through uh, drugging her, only for Kasabi to note that Zevlan was spoiled and connected, but ultimately unfit for command, and kind of riling Zevlan as much as Zevlan can be riled um, on the surface. And uh, Travis actually subdues her um, because he's not really interested in their back history. And um, as such, because Kasabi's been captured, um, Blake and crew are left waiting for a signal until um, a signal eventually comes. Unfortunately, this is through guessing the coordinates uh, out of uh, Kasabi in her heavily drugged state. So Blake teleports down nearby just to make sure it isn't a trap, and uh, Gan follows him down. Uh, they come across the ruins of a church, something Gan isn't actually familiar with because the Federation have uh, they just demolished churches as some kind of I don't know some kind of perhaps something that evokes very powerful sensory feelings, um, which the Federation aren't really into. So uh, they move down into the Undercroft, where um, Kasabi's daughter, uh, who is a lass called Veron, uh, faints as soon as she sees them, and essentially Gan and Blake uh, get to reviving her. Um, and when they contact the Liberator to say, yep, all's fine, um, Avon really presses him, so you've messed up with Kasabi. To which Blake goes, everything's fine. <laughs> Phase two, come on. <laughs> so, uh, so they um, find out from Veron that Kasabi has been killed uh, because they were ambushed by uh, the Federation. Uh, she goes off to get some air as uh, Blake and Gan, uh, you know, just talk about what they should do from there. Avon and Villa then also uh, beam down. And uh, as they try and... Actually, before uh, they meet up with Blake and Gan, uh, they see the uh, marsh where um, Arsehole and Dickhead or whoever uh, <laughs> blew up. <laughs> hey, this is your fault. And um, Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Avon checks what it is and it's actually um, uh, a set of uh, radioactive kind of tripwires that uh, are trying to explode. Um, and even if you try and disable them by cutting them or blasting them. Um, they have an inbuilt self-repair system of eight seconds. So um, even if you wanted to get across, you have to be quite the runner, essentially. Um, so that sets up a set piece for later on in the episode. Um, they reunite with Blake and Gan. That is actually when Veron goes out with some fresh air. And um, as they talk tactics... Veron suddenly throws down some kind of smoke grenade that instantly uh, knocks the four men out. And uh, it's, it's soma vapor. Is that what this is? It's, it's the same gas that knocks everybody out in uh, in mission, mission to Destiny. Okay. And it's the same drug that uh, Villa's getting high on in um, <laughs> uh, Horizon. <laughs> oh, 
So in which case, Villa should be used to it, then. <laughs> Either way. So it knocks the, the four of them out. Veron goes back, because she's clearly used to the drug, and uh, takes off uh, their bracelets. We, for the first time this series, I have a bracelet counts to deliver. You do, yes. Uh, of, of four. Uh, the four of them wake up only to find that the door has been uh, uh, blocked off and their bracelets have been taken. So they're in quite a bit of trouble. However, because they've got Gan down in there, um, he uses his brute strength to uh, knock whatever was uh, guarding the door away and uh, allows allows them to escape. To which Gan actually apologises, saying, sorry it took too long, I'm a bit out of condition. Uh, bless him. Uh, meanwhile, Veron is being congratulated by Travis, uh, who essentially struck a deal that uh, if Veron did that, um, she'd uh, get her mother back. Um, only for <laughs> only uh, for Veron to learn that her mother actually died an hour before. <laughs> and, uh, I'm get, I think Serverland gave her an overdose, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so Veron goes from being disgusted with her actions to being... Um, very forlorn and then uh, very unconscious as Travis <laughs> as, as Travis just knocks her out. Uh, meanwhile, up on board the Liberator, the girls, the girls, Jenna and Callie deduce that the rest of the crew are in trouble just because they haven't heard back from them. And uh, they're not in so much trouble though that when Travis arrives at the cell with two of his mutoids, um, <laughs> he he goes from a very quick curse to then um, thinking on the fly as to where Blake would go next. And because Travis knows Blake so well, he's like, okay, what's the most stupidly dangerous place to go on this planet um, or within the nearest vicinity? What's the last place that we'd technically go looking? Oh, there we go, the radioactive field. Right, we're going there. Um, I believe it's called the Forbidden Zone. Yeah. Yes. Um, So... Avon explains the dynamic of the Forbidden Zone uh, to the other three men and um, suggests that Blake run across it as soon as um, he shoots at the wires, uh, giving Blake eight seconds to get across. And, of course, it makes Blake a bit uneasy, not least because it's one of Avon's plans, but um, it, it manages to succeed, and uh, Blake calls Villa across next, because they need a locksmith. Um, so Avon shoots, but then Gan follows afterwards, and just when you think that he's not going to make it and die, he doesn't. So, phew. <laughs> oh, that would be tragic if Gan died in this episode. <laughs> Uh, and then um, Blake uh, from the other end tries to do the same for Avon, but as Avon speed mincing across the forbidden zone, he tricks. And it is a quality piece of speed. It mincing, is. Has to be said. It is. You've never. If you ever want a showcase of Avon speed mincing, then this is the episode for you. I mean, it's so good he actually falls over. So impressive is it. Um, if you want to see Avon speed mincing while dressed as a leather-bound book. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the costumes in this episode is something we'll get into. Oh yeah, oh yes. Uh, but as as it looks like it's curtains for Avon, uh, Blake shoots another path for him to speed mints down, and Avon does manage manage to get across. 
Um, so Haven, in a rare moment, thanks Blake for that. And um, the four of them make it down into the building. As uh, they do so, Travis report, reports to Servland saying, I need clearance to get over there. There is no way out. Uh, we will have trapped Blake once and for all. Uh, Servland notes she doesn't have the authority, uh, but Travis says, tells her that as long as she gets it, they will have Blake. End of story. And so, noting that both their heads are on the line, Servland uh, sends in the request and uh, has the field deactivated for Travis and his mutoids to cross. Meanwhile, inside the underground building, uh, the four men uh, move through the same area, just with different coloured lighting. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's it's 70s British sci-fi, you know, you can forgive it. Um, But that's what it is. And uh, various bits of it are slightly booby-trapped. I forget the initial thing, however... They have to monkey bar across part of it. And um, Blake, Villa and Avon manage to... Gan (laughs) very nearly dies, uh, but we can't have that in this episode. uh, Because one of the pipes he's on, because the the, the floor is seen to be explosive in some some way. Um, At one point, the... I think the penultimate bar that Gan's on kind of creaks under his weight, so he really has to swing to get across. But get across he does. They they get to, the, like, the final door, and um, Blake is so feverishly excited, he is yelling at Villa to get, just get it done, get it open, get it open. This is the most important thing ever, as uh, we see that Travis and his new toys are now on the other side of the island and are in hot pursuits. Um, but they're not so close that uh, they stop Villa opening the door, and the camera angle cuts to inside the chamber as Blake runs in triumphantly. We've done it! We've done I have done it! Hooray! And Avon notes, it's an empty room. And Blake um, can't quite believe it, to the extent that he kind of falls to his knees in disbelief. And then um, Cosplay Travis uh, comes out and says, yes, it wasn't here. Oh, yes, it was once here, 30 years ago. But uh, not even I know where it is now. But we, you know, we we keep it out there as a target for for people like you, Blake. And Blake is, you know, he he just can't even respond for once. I mean, he's been at Travis's mercy before, but now he's just completely devastated. And... uh, Travis, cosplay Travis, not even the proper Travis, has won. <laughs> he's won. He's done it ultimately. And then, like other times in which he's won, Servalan <laughs> suddenly shows up and says, right, let him go. And um, Travis can't quite believe what he, he's hearing. But it turns out that... Uh, Jenna and Veron are directly behind Servalan with their guns trained on her. Travis hesitates, but ultimately um, allows the Liberator crew to escape and then sends the mutoids after him. Servalan's very upset and slaps him around the face saying, You hesitated! How dare you! 
Um, this is the same Servalant who sold Travis out on multiple occasions. Um, so, <laughs> to be honest, fair game to cosplay Travis there. Um, so Jenna has new bracelets uh, for them, but um, apparently there's less of a teleportation risk if they just get up on the surface. So um, they run outwards as fast as they can, but uh, Travis, followed by Servlan, is in hot pursuit with his mutoids, uh, to the extent where, in a last-ditch attempt to get them, um, he throws a grenade. I don't know if it's upper story or just like further up the corridor. It wasn't very clear. Uh, but either way, as uh, one of the doors is sealing shut and Gant's holding it open, uh, the rest of the Liberator crew duck under just as the grenade goes off. And uh, someone turns back to try and help Gan out of his predicament, but Gan says, don't risk your life for me. Come on, get out of there. And uh, that's the last thing we hear him say, because uh, Gan does actually die. Um, the grenade goes off, and uh, he is trapped underneath some rubble nearby Blake, and Blake checks on Gan, and he's very shell-shocked, but um, no, that's, that's the end of Gan. There's not no no final words or anything. That's that's it. So um, Blake, having been emotional as as he cradled Gan's dead body, then walked up to the ladder and just went, "Gan's dead." And um, they they climb up out of the base. Uh, the blockage has actually trapped Servland and Travis and his mutoids down there, which uh, Servland is very unimpressed. It's fair to say. Um, and Travis is like, well, well, we'll get dug out eventually. And again, um, this is not what Servalan wants to hear. But ultimately, the Liberator crew say goodbye to Veron, who says uh, she has a debt to pay off on Earth rather than with the Liberator crew. As the uh, Liberator crew beam up, Blake tells Zen to get them out of the solar system as quickly as possible, regardless of destination and um, they look up at Gan's empty chair and that's it a moment's silence I think is, is, is proper yeah well Gan's dead yes Gan is dead Good. I uh, I mean, the rest of the episodes, I mean, obviously that's worth talking about, but um, you can't really not start with talking about the fact we've lost one of the main cast. Absolutely. Like, mid, I mean, barely even mid-season. I think almost exactly mid-season. I think we're on what, this is episode six, episode seven. Uh, I think this is actually episode five. So, yeah, we are sort of roughly mid-season. Yeah, roughly mid-season. Yeah, yeah. We're 13 episodes a season. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm very conf- I mean, it's obviously it's a very bold thing. Uh, I mean, un- unless the character was bombing terribly with audiences, it's quite a bold. I mean, but Gan isn't Adric. No, not at all. That way. Um, How dare you even bring them up in the same sentence, man? Well, exactly. I, I, and what, what kind of pimp would Adric make? <laughs> Terrible one. <laughs> he'd get the opposite of a pimp slap. 
<laughs> you know, Hose would be hitting him uh, and, and keeping the money. But, you know, <laughs> but worth him ever. Yeah. <laughs> you could substitute the word pimp with so many other words with regards to Adric. But you know, this is this isn't a Doctor Who cast. Um, no, it isn't. No. no. Um, yeah, so unless he was going, he was wildly unpopular, then it's quite a bold decision to kill off one of the main cast, particularly one who is probably the nicest of the entire cast as well. Um, you know, the one who has the most obvious conscience and the one who sees inherent good in people, even if, if it's <laughs> buried very deep down. Well, it is always the way when, you know, a character gets killed off and it's a popular character, people always wail, oh, why couldn't you have killed such and such character? I don't like them. You think, well, if they'd have done that, the episode wouldn't have had any emotional weight to it. I mean, there is that, but then also, um, I I think Gan was, in that regard, I think Gan was probably the best person to kill off. In all honesty, he'd been a bit underutilised in this season. Uh, yeah. Not so much in the first season. He, he you know, he, he found his place within the ensemble, and I mean, there were uh, were episodes where he was kind of a background player, but you know, his character still shone through. In this one, I don't know. I mean, he showed his moral core in Horizon. No, not Horizon. Um, the drug Shadow. Shadow. Yes. And you know, he had like a random fight in the series premiere. But um, otherwise, I, th- I think he was given a lot more to do in this episode than he was in the rest of the season put together. And I think that's probably fair. And, I mean, granted, they do it because, you know, this is his last episode. Um, but even so, I mean, I, I think A, Gan was being overlooked, and then B, of everyone on the crew, there is still a lot to do with you know, Jenna and Avon and Villa. I mean, maybe Callie could have been killed off, but I don't think it would have resonated as much as with Gan. So I think ultimately he's he's the one who had to go. And so I, from a production point of view, smart, but devastating all the same. Extremely. Uh, what do you think? What, about Gan dying? Yeah. Uh, well... I remember being sort of, you know, like you, quite devastated when I first saw it because I, I think I I'd already heard that he he died, but obviously, you know, just sort of seeing the episode and everything, and and also, yeah, it, it he sort of shows how selfless he is right up to the end. He's like he, when there's sort of Blake's trying to save him, he's just said, "Look, just go. I'm not worth it." Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. You know, Blake's a twat in this episode, isn't he? <laughs> He is, yes. But before that, I just want to say, um, this is one I, I I watched Trial like a, a few hours before we started recording this. I watched yeah. Pressure Point yesterday, and I made my ups, upset nature known on Facebook, and right. then I had to um, I had to put in a comfort DVD. I, I couldn't watch Trial afterwards. I had to I had to go and throw in the 1994 Street Fighter movie. Blimey! Weird. That, that's you say that, 
But um, I also, a, a friend of mine, uh, he's a video games journalist, um, he and the podcast he was doing at the time, uh, they all recorded a commentary uh, for the film, and it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. So oh, fantastic. So that, that is what I do. I, I watch the film, but I, I turn the sound right down so I can listen to the podcast and their impressions of Roll Julia and George Clark Van Damme. And it, it just makes me happy inside. So it, it counterbalanced the sadness of, of losing Gan. Because I was sad. I was just... Well, it, <laughs> the sad thing to have happened. Yeah. He's a lovely bloke. He is. And now he's dead. Thanks to Blake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, when you get down to it, this is all Blake's fault. It is, yes. <laughs> but it's just like that stipulation. I mean, look, when the crew just have a bit of a conflab to decide whether or not they're going to join Blake on, on this mission, they all say to him, goes, right, we'll come with you, but we're not prepared to get ourselves killed. We want your promise that if it looks like there's a less than even chance, if it looks like the mission isn't going to work out, that you'll call it off and, you know, we'll, no harm, no foul, we'll just go. Mm. And Blake says, yes, I'll agree to that, but only if it's agreed that the final decision is mine. And they go, yes, yes, of course, the final decision is yours. Clearly not realising how much of a prick this man is. <laughs> okay, okay, right, in short order, yep. let's have a look at exactly what goes tits up with Blake's plan, shall we? Go for it. One. When they get there, the people are supposed to rendezvous with are an hour late delivering their signal. Uh, two, two hours. Well, no, no, originally an hour late, and Blake wants an extra hour, yeah. rather than going, oh, no, they haven't signaled, I guess we're going. Yep. On the, and on the very cusp of the two-hour signal, I think, I think it's over two hours, isn't it? Because Blake goes, right, yeah, they'll have a call back, and then yeah. the signal comes. Yeah. So Blake's like, right, brilliant, let's go. And everyone's like, what, really? Okay. <laughs> so teleports down. The group of rebels he's supposed to meeting, be meeting aren't there, and there's one big girl's blouse waiting for him. Literally. A gigantic wet blanket of a woman. Uh, a girl. Who <laughs> basically sort of faints. Yeah. And there's a whole conversation that Gan has with Blake. It's sort of like Gan's like, well, pff, we're done. <laughs> the people we're supposed to be working with aren't here. And Blake goes, well, I'd still like to try for it. Like, what? And then he was like, oh, yes, Kasabi's member only back up. And we go, that's bullshit. You told them at the start of the episode that if they didn't want to get involved, it was all right because you'd already contacted some rebels. So clearly they were part of your plan. Yep, where you say, sir? Yeah. So he talks Gan around. Avon... Like teleports down, goes right. Where's Kasabi? And they go like, oh, it's not there. Oh shit! Well, <laughs> she's dead. <laughs> so they have the quite sensible plan of uh, teleporting over the forbidden zone to the, hopefully inside the blockhouse, and if not the blockhouse, then you know, to the front door so Villa can open it. Yep. So they bypass the whole forbidden zone thing. Yep. They then get gassed and get their teleport bracelets taken. Mm-hmm. At which point, Blake goes, no, it's fine. Everything's fine. There's nothing. <laughs> Half the plan is all good. Yeah. We could just risk our lives sprinting across the, the zone of death. And so they do that, and it turns out to be an empty bastard room. You dickhead, Blake. You absolute cock. I think, more, more not just the fact that he, he's a terrible strategist, um, it's... it's 
it's so personalised in this episode. It's it's not we can do this, all of us. Um, it's me, I can do this. He, as I said, he even says, "I've done it. I've got here." And I was like, "I think it's an frankly emperor. that's the moment for me where Blake's proper fanaticism is revealed." I yeah, I agree. Where like yeah, where the idealist is completely stripped away and the fanatic is there on its own. Yeah, because he's got. Sort of like no at that moment he's got no interest in the freedom or whatever. He's he, all he's interested in is the fact that he has beaten them, and that, <laughs> to the point where yeah. he doesn't notice he's in an empty room. Yeah, he's just running at the camera, arms aloft, as if you know there was a woman running towards him from behind the camera. Yeah, he, he's so caught up in the moment of the fact that he's finally got into control, he doesn't realise there's nothing there. Yeah. Is... And he has a bit. He does have some, something of a breakdown when Avon points it out to him. And like you say, he yeah. gets completely deflated. He falls to his knees in despair. Like everything he'd been pinning his hopes on, this one thing that represented everything that he could possibly do, mm. and it's a lie. It's an empty room. Well, that's the bit. I mean, he reaches his his zenith, uh, essentially, of you know just how great a freedom fighter he can be, because he honestly thinks he's done it. And then he comes crashing down to earth, partially when he realises he's been jeeped, and then again after he actually loses a crew member, um, yeah. thanks to his own, you know, further. And you know, but he's damn lucky that he escapes out of there with his life. You know, if Jenna hadn't done some quick thinking, and you know, essentially. <laughs> Yeah, that's, the only, that's the only reason all four of them are alive is because Jedha had the presence of mind to teleport down and capture Servalan. Yeah, which is you know it, it it shows her to be a pretty effective character where Blake isn't. Um, and, you know it is it's a very nice moment to see you know you know I mean if you if you kind of look at the the kind of uh, seesaw of um, Blake's triumph being uh, equal to uh, Travis's despair, you know. I mean, Travis is right there as Blake's spirit is crushed. Because Travis is loving it. Mm, um, absolutely. You, once again, <laughs> he has finally trapped Blake. And he's won. I mean... And not, and not just trapped him, just completely sort of defeated him morally as well. Yeah. Well, men- completely defeated and demoralised emotionally. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, okay, neither of us are very impressed with cosplay Travis, but in these two episodes, he has a lot going for him. I, I will say, yeah, because I mean, we weren't terribly impressed by his first appearance, but there are a couple of moments in both these episodes where he's actually pretty good. Yeah. Like um, the moment where they're... Um, interrogating Kasabi, and they're going through her personal effects, and they find the little homing beacon. Mm. And Servalan's like, oh, well, no, we don't need her. We've got the homing beacon. We just set the homing beacon off. And like, Travis is like, well, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but firstly, yeah, it might have to transmit in a coded pattern. And if we don't use that pattern, it will scare Blake off. And it also might have to be transmitted from a specific place. Yeah. So if we don't do those two things, he's going to go. So it's like, yeah, that's... Cosplay Travis being actually quite, te- you know, tactically savvy and knowing the way, you know, his man thinks. Yeah, that's, that's going back to his roots in the in the first season. 
but and, and again, I mean, um, you also get to see uh, uh, Servland and Travis play the odd couple, um, although it's not quite as gracing as it was in Weapon, um, because I mean, there are some moments where Servland is right to call Travis out on his bullshit, but at the same time, a lot of the stuff that she's unsatisfied about the way Travis goes about his uh, business, like the whole 18-day wait at the start of things. Um, you mean, ultimately, Travis is right. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, once again, it's just a case that if left to his own devices, Travis can be very effective. Um, it's just now, because, because of all of their previous, Servland almost seems to insist on sitting in <laughs> like babysitting him as, <laughs> as he goes about uh, trying to capture Blake. Or, or in this case, I think, I don't know if he was stalking Kasabi as a means to capture Blake. I think it was alluded to, but... Well, I think that they, they always knew that Kasabi was out there they wanted to capture her, but as far yeah, as yeah. Travis was concerned, Kasabi was secondary to capturing Blake. Kasabi was a bonus, basically. Well, exactly, and I think that's the reason Servland was sitting in on him this time, uh, because Kasabi was involved. And again, um, she has this link with uh, Kasabi, and, and I think that's that's a very great segue uh, into speaking uh, about their dynamic. Well, I think it's really good. I think the, the actress playing Kasabi, I think, is is quite good. She is, and, uh, yeah. Especially yeah, in their exchanges. I mean, you get a little bit more background on Servalan. Mm. And you definitely get the impression that she's uh, a bit of the, uh, the sport little rich girl. You do, although I'm, I'm interested by the line that said she's unfit for command. Yes, because Kasabi says that uh, her original assessment report of her listed her as being unfit for command, but she underestimated how connected she was. But even then, that is kind of underestimating Serverland. I mean, regardless of her connections, everything we've seen of Serverland so far, you know, nothing has been able to really stick to her. Um, granted, the fact that Blake keeps getting away doesn't make her look good, but normally she can always pass the buck on to Travis, and again, this is explored even deeper in the next episode. But, yeah. um, I mean, if you think about... Um, you know, uh, how Weapon, and how she and Carnell almost took control of Imipak, uh, or, or just the sheer evil of her scheme in trying to get Orak in, like, the, the last two episodes of the previous season. She's she's very good and ruthless, and worrying not for Blake and his meddling kids, um, <laughs> they'd have got away with it. I would argue that that doesn't make her necessarily a good commander, because everything that she does very well in a very conniving way is to benefit her personally. Um, that is true. That is true. Yeah. She does all her right. connivance to get all her connivance to get Orak was to get Orak for herself, and then she could then she could give it to the Federation to improve her own standing. She wanted Imapak for herself, both time under you know outside of the gaze of the Federation. Exactly. Yeah, she's, yeah. she's operating off the radar both times. Mm. Yeah, that's a fair point. So, while I take the point that, yes, she is very good at sort of guessing what she wants, I would also suggest that doesn't necessarily make her a good commander, and she probably has her position more through her uh, 
Contacts. Uh, contacts and her connivances. And, uh, she's probably remo- removed a few people who were in her way. Like Kasabi. On the way, on the way up the ladder. <laughs> well, yeah. So it's like Kasabi was probably the first, and then m- many other dominoes fell after that. Yeah. And the fact that like uh, when Kasabi is sort of dying in her final moments, like she actually apologises to Servalan for not trying to help her more when she was a cadet. Mm. And you can you can see like in Serverland's eyes, like, yeah, that gets to her. <laughs> Unfortunately, I spent too long just staring at her hat. <laughs> she keeps it on all the time. Wearing a hat indoors. Well, <laughs> terribly rude. <laughs> I, I say the, the Federation is such blackguards; they wear their hats indoors. I've still not made it to the Hat Museum in Stockport. <laughs> it, it's on my hit list. You're going to be disappointed now if Serverland's hat isn't in there. I will. I, if all the great hats from British sci-fi aren't in there. <laughs> I want Tom Baker's hat, Peter Davison's hat, Sylvester... I'm just talking Doctor Who, really. Um, <laughs> because I don't know British sci-fi. Um, now, I want Serverland's outfit. I just need to point something out. Go on. Throughout all the episode... She's wearing that tunic and the hat outfit. She's wearing it in their, their little hideout, which is a lovely thatched cottage in the country. <laughs> but when, when she shows up inside control, she's changed into a different dress. So apparently, Jenna, <laughs> Jenna broke in and at gunpoint said, right, you're coming with me. And Servanan said, wait, I have to change. Or Jenna had a strip and change. Which I can't discuss now because I have to go to my bunk. And <laughs> Cobb's hat. I want Cobb's hat <laughs> in that museum. <laughs> oh, thank Christ for that. You've seen Firefly. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. God, no. I, I, I wouldn't even dare register for geek forums if I hadn't seen Firefly. <laughs> Speaking of uh, shock deaths... Yes. Uh, Weezer. <laughs> well, it's probably where he got it from. I mean, when you think about it, he, he's a big Anglophile himself, and it, I can't think of another British show which, like, an ongoing sort of serial show which pulled something like that, you know? But yes, for a British show to be killing off its main characters was a was a rare thing at the time, and it was a you know it, it was a big deal. Well, I suppose I mean like talking about the costumes. I mean. Um, we sort of touched upon Avon <laughs> essentially being a leather-bound book. Which, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what's going on with Villa and that weird yellow sash thing. Yeah, it's like... It's meant to go over both of his shoulders, but it's kind of hanging off with one of them. And it seems to be acting like a big pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming it's just so he doesn't have to take his like um, his lunchbox with him. <laughs> his, his, his cool box. <laughs> his, his cool box of tools. <laughs> well, that's the thing, because often you see Villa uh, go down on missions, and uh, he seems to have forsaken the cool box. He can now pretty much unpick locks with whatever he's got in his pockets. Yeah. Well, I think they probably realised it was just like a very cumbersome prop to be sort of lugging around on on location sheets and stuff. Mm, yeah. Plus, it does look like a cool box. 
Yeah, he, he does look like Billy's going on a picnic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some cans of beer for <laughs> for the crew. I also noticed that um, when Jenna was bringing the teleport bracelets down, she found a very nice handbag to put them in. <laughs> Serverlands. <laughs> well, you, you just bought them with a that's a nice handbag. I'm having that. <laughs> <laughs> well, she would have had to have brought them down from delivery, so. But, uh, I suppose so. Perhaps she I mean, just upgraded them from a sack that she had on the Liberator. It's like, oh, this would be much nicer. <laughs> well, maybe she just dumped the cool box. <laughs> Here you are, Servalan. It's a fair trade. <laughs> and now you can go on picnics with Travis. <laughs> You can insert Travis into so many images, and um, it, it's always refreshing. <laughs> well, I think overall, I think there's, there are things kind of wrong with it, just because you know Blake's plan makes him come off like a dick. Oh yeah, but I do really enjoy this episode. I, I think it's yeah, it's action packed, obviously. It's action. Impact and you know emotive because of the big thing that happens. Yes. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said for it because I mean, you've got the kind of um, duality with uh, Blake and Travis, and then with Servalan and um, uh, what's in it? <laughs> it's just gone. Kasavi, of course. Um, and so yeah, there's a lot um, of interesting things about it, and as one story, as opposed to like two that are randomly thrown together, um, yeah. it, it does work. And perhaps the nicest thing I can say about Gand's death, that at least he was back on his home planet. Well, yes. yeah. So that's kind of nice. And, and he died in a very self-sacrificing way as well. Well, it's a noble death, if nothing else. Indeed. So, uh, should we have a look at some of the uh, feedback we've got for this? By all means. Well, uh, the first lot of feedback we've got is from uh, Mitchell McCann. Ah. And he says, Salut, Ian and Dave. Ah, bonjour. (laughs) Mes amis. (laughs) Hello, hello. If you start doing that be our guest thing again, this is going to end in violence. <laughs> that was a one-off. <laughs> you don't get that kind of genius on tap. <laughs> uh, Mitchell says, Pressure Point is an awesome episode. I'll explain why later. But first I want to point out all the things in it that make me want to bang my head against the wall. Yeah. Sorry if this goes on quite long. It will make a, I'll make up for it with my feedback on trial. Number one, if you're entering a forbidden zone that involves crossing an open field, what were you walking in case of mines or explosive radiation gizmos? Fair point. Yes. <laughs> Two, whatever, whatever is it that Villa and Avon are wearing? <laughs> Avon looks upholstered. <laughs> the chair, the chair. <laughs> Scotch Guardian. <laughs> Three, if your backup on a covert mission is several hours late, you should probably assume it's been compromised. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> no argument there. 
Uh, number four, if you come across the sole survivor of an ambush, maybe you should take her to your infirmary instead of telling her to take a nap and then turning your back. Although I liked how much Gan l- looked like he cared. Such a big, cuddly teddy bear of a murderer. <laughs> okay. That's a little unfair. Yeah. They, they killed his woman. <laughs> you know, Gan needed to, you know, choke a bitch. <laughs> Gan's got to get paid. (laughs) (laughs) We'll never see the pimp cloak again. Oh, no. Because, I mean, mean, we always talk about Gan and Blake's outfits a lot of the time. Sorry, uh, Blake and Avon's. Gan has some classics. Yes. He really does. And he's very much got a shirt open at the chest a bit here as well, isn't he? He's a bit sort of a... Bit seventies old manly man. Mm. Like he should be advertising aftershave or something. <laughs> uh, number five. What oddly good timing on the teleport. I'm not sure what that's in reference to, if I'm honest. Uh, I'm not sure, no. Maybe you can fill in the gaps on that one for us, Mitchell. Mm. At Shake and Blake at Earth2.net. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> there was an opening. I took it. <laughs> Good man. Thank you. Uh, number six. The Federation defence systems are a bunch of schoolyard games. The 50 metre dash and monkey bars. <laughs> What's next? Double Dutch laser skipping ropes. <laughs> That's an image. <laughs> I, I mentioned in my notes that basically control is the crystal maze. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> Just lacking um, Richard O'Brien guiding them through. <laughs> With a harmonica. <laughs> I love the Crystal Maze. The Crystal Maze is fantastic. <laughs> why, why didn't that go on longer? <laughs> I would have taken Ed Tudor pole for longer. <laughs> the format is that good. I'm sure it'll come back at some point. You'd think so. so it's too good to die. Yeah, it's, it's only a matter of years until Sky remake it. For like, Absolutely. Yes. Make it gourd for uh, seven, if Blake insists on those goofy sleeves, can't he at least slip a couple of extra teleport bracelets up there? <laughs> Good point. Yep, he, he's rocking the billowing sleeves again. It, well, it's a go- I was about to, No, I can't even say that. No, it's, it's not a good look. <laughs> no, no. Uh, eight, Veron actually believes Travis would let her mum go. Also, was I the only one getting some sexy vibes between Sir Vlad and Veron? No, no, you weren't. <laughs> there's definitely some very affectionate touching and stroking going on in between sort of the bit after she gets judo chopped by um, Travis oh d- d- damn it I was taking my notes during that bit ah uh, you see oh. <laughs> uh, I, I, is, is Mitchell trying to imply that Travis doesn't have the most trustworthy of faces <laughs> very possibly <laughs> there might be something a little bit suspicious about him bit yeah. suspect Maybe. Uh, nine. Gee, Blake, the Federation lied to you. What did you expect? Ten. Just shoot Travis and Servalan. Seriously, the dialogue after the crew got their bracelets and weapons back should be this. Avon shoots Travis in the head. See, I hit him in the head that time. Told you it was a radiation poisoning. Blake. So, Veron, do you want to shoot the one who killed your mum, or should I do it? Veron. No, you can do it. Blake shoots Servalan on all the mutoids. <laughs> Gan. Well, that's done. Oh, look, he had a grenade on him. 
well, that's all over. Let's go get some hot cocoa. <laughs> I think in amongst that fantastical role play, there is a very good point as to, yeah. um, you know, Travis and Zervan could have just been killed there and then. I mean, you'd think Blake would want to sort of take it as a consolation. Like, fair enough, you haven't been able to destroy control, but you could still kill the Supreme Commander of the Federation military and one of her most bloodthirsty lieutenants. Yep. Missed opportunity. Yes. <laughs> Number 11. You're going to leave that girl there? What are her chances of surviving? Well, she, she's the daughter of a rebel leader. Not terribly good rebel leader, to be fair. I didn't say that. <laughs> I mean, it's the latest in a line of people who would be perfectly suited for joining the Liberator in some capacity, but deciding no for no readily apparent reason, other than the fact that they don't want to take anybody else on. Well, at least she wasn't as suicidal as Michael Rosen. Indeed. <laughs> just, Come with us. No, I'd much rather get shot in the back. <laughs> okay, weirdo. So, uh, Mitchell continues... So why do I think this episode is awesome? Because of what Servalan isn't wearing when Jenna and Veron show up. <laughs> her hat and coat are gone. That means when Jenna interrupts the interrogation, she takes a very phallic weapon and asks Servalan to start taking her clothes off. Awesome. We, we called it, Dave. We called it. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'll be in my bunk. <laughs> Again. Uh. Yeah. So, uh... Thanks for that, Mitchell. Yes, thank he, you. He's also given us some thoughts on trial, which we'll get to in a moment. Don't, and, uh, don't do that, Mitchell. On. That's two emails for him. Honestly. Oh, no, it, it, it's all included in one email. Oh, okay. Never mind. So, <laughs> send it to me instead. <laughs> what, you mean pull a packer? <laughs> no, no, don't do that. Or you will face the wrath of a Travisogram. <laughs> I don't care if you are in Australia or not. Travis will travel. <laughs> so our uh, our next bit of feedback comes from Stefan Sornock from the uh, the Martians are here and podcast. Yeah. And he says, "Hey, Dave and Ian, uh, these two episodes are both strong, enjoyable episodes. I was sad as a child watching Gan die in Pressure Point." And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that of the seven, Gan was not given much to do, other than flex his muscles occasionally. The backstory with his inhibitor chip and how he got it was never properly explored, and as such, he is probably the least developed of the seven. In the end, I think he died more because he was surplus to requirements than any other reason, which is annoying because I don't like ever getting to see a character die without getting to see their story and the best of them, not even Adric. Gan is a little like Shepard Book from Firefly. There is a mystery there, but we'll never really know what it is. This episode shows up the fact that Blake is prepared to go to any lengths to win, something that Travis is able to exploit, and not for the first time. If it wasn't for his habit of managing to lose Blake from a seemingly impossibly strong position, which I would like to say was down to the resourcefulness of Blake, but really owes much more to dumb luck, <laughs> the, series made, <laughs> <laughs> the series would be over by now. If I have a quibble here is the fact that Travis, a man who is so prepared and manages to lose all the time. That was one thing that always irked me at times. Blake is okay as a leader, but he's certainly no genius. That fact, and and the change of actors, turned Travis into a bit of a farce, really. I don't know. I mean, I've, I'll save my full thoughts on Travis until we get to the next episode. 
Um, yeah. I mean, uh, but ultimately, yes, there is a reason we call him Cosplay Travis. Yes. So, um, we have a piece of audio feedback for this episode as well. Ooh, who could this be from? <laughs> well, uh, I guess that would be from the uh, good Reverend Mr. Peter Organ and his lovely wife, Anne-Marie. Yep. So, let's see, what the, let's see what they think. Okie dokie. Hello! Hello! Peter and Amory here, and we just watched Pressure Point. Yeah. And there's an awful lot wrong with this episode. Not least Serverland's outfit. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be that gecko. <laughs> uh-huh. I was <laughs> Serverland's booby gecko. <laughs> what was she wearing? I don't know. And then earlier on, you, you reckoned you caught sight of Binge. With well, that split dress she was wearing. to yeah. that be tights, thankfully. But... Yeah, but it wasn't entirely sure quite what it was she was wearing underneath the tights. Because you thought they were leggings. And then when I pointed out they were tights, it was like, what? Oh, dear. It's like and that split is a bit high, and darling. She, and she looked like she was going to a fairly a sle- wedding sleazy wedding, yes. Yeah. <laughs> With a hat. Uh, so, yeah, so design problems there, and, and the corridors, <laughs> they're trying to fool us into thinking they're all different by liking them in different colours. Yeah, they hadn't even, like, put a picture up on one wall and not the others <laughs> or anything. It was just white, then red, then orange. Oh, dear. <laughs> and at oh, one point, slightly lilac, and that was kind of it. Uh, yeah, right, what else was lame about this episode? <laughs> Why can't Orak take over control, since he's supposedly hot-wired into every computer in the universe ever? Yeah, well, because it isn't anything. Well, but then that would have been a short episode, wouldn't it? Blake tells Orak to connect to... um, Control. Control. Orak says, it ain't there. (laughs) Yeah, but then again, it shows them that they should have been using Orak. Yeah. Because he would have told them that. And then you've got Kasabi's daughter, who was hardly the most convincing actress ever. No. And Travis's plan's a bit lame and all, sending her in to nick people's bracelets, then rush out and lock the door. Yeah. Um, and then when he rushes back, oh dear, they've all gone. Plonker. There is an awful lot of mincing in this episode. Yes. <laughs> down, mincing down corridors. Uh, I love my favourite, though, was Avon mincing across the Forbidden Zone. zone and then tripping and then over really and unrealistically. And mincing even just even <laughs> worse. I didn't think it was possible, but with the arms flailing the way they were. So it might sound like we really don't like this episode. Well, I don't... Um... Asked you your opinion yet, but personally, I think it's a really great episode despite all these weaknesses. It's fun, definitely. It, it's exciting. The reveal when they en- enter the empty control yeah. room, control room, there's a pun there, is just brilliant. Well, yeah. the first time I saw it was just yeah. took your breath away. And of course, then the fact that Gan corks it yeah. is kind of unusual, let's face it. I mean, yeah. the occasional Doctor Who companion of Corksy, but not for many, many years at this stage. I'm a little way off Adric as well, which was yeah. more of a moment to cheer than anything. It was, yes. uh, So this was a bit of a shocker, really, for BBC Sci-Fi, a character actually dying. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, as well, is if he was going to die, you kind of expected him to die because he was a bit lardy and couldn't run fast enough. Or when he broke the monkey bars as a result of being too fat. <laughs> having managed to... <laughs> that would have been a really bad way to go out, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, go, go 
Dan died because he was too fat. Well, I mean, you know, the two scenarios where... Death by pie. Yeah. Well, you know, he started off after Villa and somehow still managed to make it in eight seconds, I don't believe. He should have died then. Then he should have died the monkey bars. So the fact that he ended up being killed by a small amount of cardboard that looked like he had hamster food on it. (laughs) um, You know, it's poor, unfortunate Gan, really. Oh, well, bless him. I can't remember the actor's name, but he acts his heart out, doesn't he? He does. Being dead. I mean, all, all kudos for that, so... He does a good roly eye vacant stare dead look. He does, doesn't he? That is kind of touching, ultimately. So, despite, you know, the episode's weaknesses, it's it still manages to be quite awesome and impressive. It would have been so much better with proper travel. Yeah, so. yeah, I, I, this is going to be the refrain. We can't keep saying this. <laughs> no, but proper Travis would have been sitting in the room in a chair with his feet up on a table. Yeah, or he'd already have been in control waiting for Blake to yeah, turn up yeah. and then would have shot him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as it was, cosplay Travis had the opportunity to shoot Blake and didn't. Mm, and then again. Blake had the opportunity to shoot Travis and Serverland and didn't. Yeah. What a twat. Perhaps he was just stunned by the gecko. Yeah, mesmerised by the dress. by the, the, the gecko yeah. holding what, the boob. What have you got on? <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, good stuff. And uh, re- again, really enjoyed the last episode, chaps. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Take care. Bye. Bye. Well, thanks for that, Peter and Anne-Marie. Uh, it was Peter's birthday this week, actually. They had a, a bit of a drink up for it, so uh, happy birthday. Yes, indeed. And uh, <laughs> my, my present to you is a Travisogram. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yes, it is. You won't be threatening me with any more films, organ. <laughs> but thank you very much for picking up my phrase, cosplay Travis. Um, <laughs> in response, in response to you donating um, speed mincing. Yes, it, it, it's a reciprocal relationship. It is, have it is indeed. And I'd, I'd like to say that the, the words "I was Serverland's booby gecko" are <laughs> very much given this episode its subtitle on Geek Planet. Well, there we go. <laughs> Plays to what your crowd loves. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think overall, it's it's good stuff. It's not it's not perfect, but it's one of those things. It's one of those episodes where you walk away from it going, "Yeah, there, there's lots of really good things." And then your brain starts turning things over. Mm. You kind of go, "Hang on a minute." Yeah. Did Jedha get Serverland naked? <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I think. I mean, obviously, it is right to point out flaws. I'm just saying, if you overanalyze things, you can never enjoy anything. So, which which is what I'm finding with like Doctor Who at the moment. <laughs> yeah. It's like people. Are, what is this confusingness? I don't care for it. <laughs> are you not entertained? <laughs> Shouting your most polite British Russell Crowe. <laughs> making podcasts, making tunes, and doing Shake and Blake. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, an extra bit of musical genius at no extra cost. <laughs> that was off the top of my <laughs> noggin. From, from the same musical brain that brought you Statistician Ian <laughs> and the back catalogue of rapper I Whistle. Ah, uh, yes. Hopefully, I Whistle will make a return at some point. Well, who knows? Maybe I Whistle should do some sort of like pimping gag, 
Gan tribute rap. <laughs> Don't put ideas in my head. <laughs> Make it happen, half, Whistle. Half of this crowd have never even heard of I Whistle anyway. And that's the problem. We need to make him aware. He's too underground. Too <laughs> <laughs> <Three. sighs> Shall we move on to the next episode? By all means, I'm ready to sit this one out. <laughs> A field officer like myself is frequently required to make fast, unconsidered decisions. You were all field officers, you know that's true. Time to think is a luxury battle seldom affords you. You react instinctively. Your actions, your decisions, all instinct, nothing more. But an officer's instincts are the product of his training. The more thorough the training, the more predictable the instinct, the better the officer. And I am a good officer. I have been in the service all my adult life. I'm totally dedicated to my duty and highly trained in how to perform it. And Sir Castor, I, I reacted as I was trained to react. I was an instrument of the service. So if I'm guilty of murder, of, of mass murder, then so are all of you! So, our next episode is Trial. Uh, or, as it says on my notes, Trial by Chris Sodding Boucher. <laughs> three for three. Three for three, I don't believe it. Some people get all the luck. <laughs> yeah, they're not me. <laughs> I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> oh well. Okay, so are you sitting comfortably, boys and girls? Sure am. This this might take a while. <laughs> so the episode starts. We see a uh, a couple of guards chatting. Uh, one of them is a bit uh, annoyed because he signed up to the Federation to see some action, and instead he's guarding a military tribunal. And then we see. Uh, Two characters that we haven't seen since uh, Seek, Locate, Destroy, which is uh, Senator Burkhol and uh, I think it's Councillor Rontaine. I can't uh, remember his title. Are they actually the same people? Yes, they're the same people. Oh, but uh, bravo. Absolutely. I applaud that. And, and they're discussing Servalan. They don't actually mention her by name, but they're obviously talking about her. Mm. And they decide, they go inside into the... Uh, they have to go through like a voice code thing to get to go into what is basically a closed session for this uh, tribunal. Mm. And then the arbiter for this uh, tribunal shows up, who is a uh, uh, man called Seymour, who is who has the uh, <laughs> the nickname Star Killer. <laughs> I can't wait for um, the the who counts because I have uh, a career highlight for that guy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not talking Doctor Who. So, um, yeah, so we have a star killer, Seymour, is uh, arbitrating at this trial. And this trial is actually a trial for Travis, who's being tried on as a war criminal for the uh, unnecessary slaughter of 1,417 people on the planet uh, Sonistar. As brought up by... 
But Ron Tannenberg Cole in their first appearance? Yes, they did the first mention of it in Cyclicate Destroy. <laughs> yeah. Now, it turns out that this is essentially being set up as a kangaroo court. Everybody seems to know that Tra- Travis is guilty as hell, but Servalan is deliberately organising things to make sure that Travis gets the ultimate sentence of death. She's organised uh, Seymour to be the arbiter because he's a very well-respected military officer, and therefore any d- decision made by him will be respected more and wouldn't be questioned. Uh, Travis's defence attorney, who is a uh, character called Major Thania, is uh, someone who is also in Serverland's pocket, and uh, Serverland's given her orders just to sort of you know, go through the motions, no surprises from the defence, everything's bog standard. And, yeah, basically, uh, Burkhol and Rontaine uh, chat about this, and it seems that uh, Serverland is making this trial happen, and is look- because she's looking to put Travis out of the way, because there is due to be an inquiry on Serverland's handling of the Blake situation, and if Travis sort of uh, speaks up about Serverland's failings, then you know, it's going to look bad for Serverland. So she's rushing through this trial on old charges in order to get Serverland put to death before that. <laughs> in order to have Travis put to death, surely. Yes, what, what did I say? <laughs> Serverland wants Serverland put to death. <laughs> yes, that, that would be ridiculous. Uh, Serverland, <laughs> wants, Serverland wants Travis put to death because otherwise it's going to look bad for her, basically. And uh, they discussed the fact that uh, Burkhold suggests trying to get a presidential stay of execution for Travis so that he could testify at the hearing. But Rontaine points out that, that it wouldn't be worth the trouble, even though Burkhold says, well, you know, slime sticks. And Rontaine points out that, uh, well, you know, these things all have responsibilities passed down. And Burkhold goes, well, yeah, Serverland chose Travis. And Rontaine responds with, and the president picked Serverland. So basically, um, Serverland's put herself in a position where she can't be criticised without putting the president in, of the Federation in direct line of fire as well. Mm. So they're sort of, uh, sort of kind of sneering at her, but kind of being impressed at the way she's politically manoeuvred the situation. Yeah. <laughs> Whilst being spied on by Serverland. Yeah, it's meant to be a closed session, but Serverland has a spy camera in the courtroom, so she knows everything that's going on. Mm. Uh, Meanwhile, on the Liberator, uh, the Liberator's coming into orbit around an uninhabited planet, which Blake has asked Zed to pick out for him. You basically ask Zed to find him an uninhabited planet with tolerable surface conditions. So, Avon comes in and uh, rubs rubs it in a bit that basically the Turgan is dead. Yeah. <laughs> you have three remaining followers. Yeah. Which, if you do your maths, does not include Avon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Blake stalks off to the teleport room, which leads to a wonderful exchange between um, Jenna and Avon, when uh, Jenna says, oh, it's still bothering him then. Yes. And then, I love this. And Avon says, uh, yes, Guilt will do that to a person. And Jenna says, what would you know about guilt? And Avon says, only what I've read. <laughs> Love that line. <laughs> well done, Boucher. So Blake goes to the teleport room. And so that's why they teleport down to the surface. Callie suggests that he should take a gun with him because he doesn't know what's going to be down there. And so Blake reluctantly agrees to take a gun. Callie goes off to go get him a gun. And then when she leaves... Uh, 
Blake gets Orak to teleport him down to the surface. Once he's down, he sets up a homing beacon, and Zen changes course, so basically the rest of the crew can't work out where he's teleported down and can't find him. It's at this point where uh, Villa points out that he misses Gan, and he reckons that Gan would have got to the heart of the problem, because he, as uh, Villa puts it, Gan wasn't like the rest of them. He, he wasn't expecting to be sort of double-crossed or betrayed. He was you know, much simpler. He'd ask complicated questions. So when Callie suggests, well, what would Gan ask in this situation, Villa says, well, he'd probably ask if Blake left a message. This brings up a message from Blake. <laughs> 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 It's fair to say he's he's no Carnell, is he? No, in terms of answer phone messages, Carnell is still all kinds of weird. <laughs> Basically, Blake says that he he'd, uh, realises that he'd let their legend get the better of them and he thought he was invincible. And he let it all go to his head and it ended up costing the lives of Dan and it could have cost the lives of the rest of the crew. And he started to question whether it's all worth doing or whether he's just sort of you know, pissing in the wind. So he's decided to go down to this planet and go for a bit of a walkabout and have a bit of a think. And he says to the rest of the crew that uh, yeah, maybe you need to have a think as well about whether you want to continue with me and whether I have any right to ask you to continue doing what we're doing. And he says he's, he said to Homing Beacon he's going to go walkabout. In 13 hours he's going to return to the, be- to the beacon and if the Liberator is still about they can teleport him back up. But he, wanted, he deliberately chooses to use a primitive way of doing it because if, if one of them decides not to go back to the rendezvous, either Blake or the Liberator, they, they can't think too harshly of each other. Maybe it was just a problem with the detectors. So Blake is fully prepared for the fact that the Liberator crew may just ditch him. Which is pretty much what Ava wants to do. He goes, well, it looks like Blake's made his decision. Shall we be off? <laughs> Classic Ava. <laughs> And even Jenna is thinking about it because she's had a what faith in Blake rocked a fair bit. Uh, meanwhile, Travis, as the trial starts, is being sort of very stoic. He's not saying a word. He's not getting involved. And Servalan is sort of is being asked about this by uh, Major Thania because she's concerned about it. She sort of puts it like he's not even paying attention to what's going on. Uh, Servalan is. Uh, wants her to find out because Thalia suggested that Travis might be drugged and Serverland said no she wouldn't do that because she doesn't want to risk a mistrial as far as she's concerned everything has to be above board then uh, Travis receives a visit from one of his men who's uh, one of the guards we saw at the start of the episode who was a a trooper called Parr Parr says that he's uh, organised for the uh, security cameras to be turned off for a bit so they can have a chat and Travis threatens to report him and Pa uh, brings out a, a bottle of liquor, and he says like a. He, he thought that Travis was always good to his men, and the men thought he could do with the last drink because he, he'd always, he'd always done all right by them. Travis is a bit suspicious, and uh, sort of like gets Pa to take a uh, sip of the drink first, and then uh, he decides to sort of fit, fit, have some himself. And it turns out that Pa has given Travis this stuff for, uh, on the orders of Major Thania. I don't know why. It never becomes entirely entirely clear why or what was in that or what it was supposed to do. Is it implied that it's meant to be some kind of truth serum or something like that? 
I, I don't know, because he does drink it, and nothing happens. Exactly. Because <laughs> later on, um, Thalia walks back in, and Travis throws the empty bottles at her, and says, oh, yeah, you, you know, your methods are unsubtle. So he's, he's clearly clocked that it was something up with it, but he drank it anyway. Yeah. Like, unless in the intervening scenes he's emptied the rest of it out, but you definitely see him drink a mouthful of it, at least. And you think there'd be enough there to sort of do the damage. So it's, it's never entirely clear what that stuff is, really. Mm. Except it's not poison. It's, it's definitely not poison. So what it is, I don't know. Good stuff, according to Pa. <laughs> so uh, Blake is on the surface of this random planet. He's getting uh, sprayed by random plants. <laughs> And then his bag, which contains um, his teleport bracelet, which he's taken off so he can't get teleported back up to the ship, and his tracker so he can find the beacon again, uh, that's stolen by what can only be described (laughs) as a space wanger. (laughs) I was waiting for... Can only be described... What's he going to say? What's he going to (laughs) say? And that was perfect. Just, they're just odd words to describe Zill. I, I, I didn't even have work because normally I'm quite good with that kind of thing, like the the bacon leech and the the wok things, yeah. you know, both from the web. Yes, which <laughs> which is shit. Um, which is shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what the hell? You know, <laughs> how how do you even describe the costume? It's oh, I don't know. It it, it looks like a rubber chicken <laughs> with bat wings <laughs> and the face of a twat. It's just uh, what? Yeah. Uh, continue. Say <laughs> what it is. It's the anti-Serverland costume. <laughs> um, you know how you look at Serverland's costume and think, "Wow, that's a really stunning costume." But she looks really high there. Yeah, yeah. You look at Zill and you just like. What? <laughs> That's a woman? What the fuck is that? Yeah. So Zill shows up, starts sprouting gibberish at uh, Blake about the host and not uh, being obs- uh, preserving oneness. Oh, for God's sake. And basically, it turns out that the planet Blake is on is alive. Mm. It is a complete living organism. And that Zill is one of several parasites which are on the surface of this thing, and the planet is eating them in order to kill the infestation. Well, it couldn't happen to a nicer, irritating alien. So, oh, for fuck's sake. What? uh, One of my notes is literally, what the fuck is Zill on about? (laughs) Movement! Life! Blake is... Zill is one with the the movement. Uh, if If you stop... What? What the hell are you talking about? Uh, Why do you know English? It's crap, Uh, is what it is. So Blake runs around for a bit, tries to save Zill, but then Zill gets digested by the planet. Yay! And it starts starts trying to eat Blake. But then, uh, the Liberator does a big pass around the the planet, and uh, Avon rigs it so he does like an automatic sort of half teleport every couple of seconds, so he'll try and pick up on the bracelet. Then Callie's got to try and complete that teleport quickly, otherwise they'll lose Blake in the ether. 
So he says to Kelly, you'll have to be very careful and watch for when he appears. Avon then proceeds to stand directly in Callie's line of sight of the teleport area, <laughs> to the point where Callie's having to peer around him. Yep. And then Villa shows up to get in her way even more. <laughs> That's some great direction. <laughs> well, yeah, I've actually written down in my notes, it says, Get out of the way, Avon! <laughs> so, uh, while they've been on the ship, uh, Avon's been lecturing the rest of the crew about what wanted to stick around and says that, uh, at one point, he says to, I think it's Callie and Villa, it's like, does Blake have a genius for leadership or do you have a genius for being led? But then ultimately, Avon decides he's going to uh, stay with Blake, but for different reasons. And he's come up with a uh, detector shield. Yes. A way of uh, shielding the Liberator from uh, Federation long-range detectors. They don't, they'll only be able to pick up the ship when it's sort of too late, when there's sort of a practically point-blank range. So once they get Blake back, uh, Blake decides that yeah, they've all been like uh, believing in their legend too much. And <laughs> yes, that, um, yes, they have been yes. believing in their legend too much. And that uh, with, with the death of Gan, they've, they've been shown to be vulnerable and they, they need to get their reputation back. So they need to have like a, a big display of force. Mm. So using Avon's detector shield, Blake decides to mount a, a quick um, hit and run attack on Space Command. Yeah. Good plan. Meanwhile, on Space Command, uh, it's getting to the point where the uh, defence want to make their statement, and Travis suddenly shows signs of life, and gets them and goes, no, no, I'm not having that, and Travis <laughs> wants to make the opening statement, and and then like, Travis delivers his grand, grandstanding filibuster of a speech yep. about how he's you know, merely a product of the military system, and he made a snap decision based on his training, and so, and it's the, tra- the training that made him the man that he was. And so if he's guilty of murder, then so is everybody else in that room. Mm. And Servalan is pissed. <laughs> sure is. Basically, because um, you know, she, she's pissed at Major Thalia for letting Travis make these opening statements. And the, the fact that what Travis was saying was... Uh, was bothering Seymour. Yes, he was bothering someone whose nickname was Star Killer. <laughs> but ultimately, uh, Seymour delivers a verdict of guilty and says that uh, yeah, he doesn't accept Travis's argument that his actions were uh, were based purely on his training. He says he wasn't behaving like a fe- like a Federation officer. He was behaving like an animal. Yeah, because I mean, in in fairness, not all. Federation officers commit genocide. We'll get to that. <laughs> okay. Meanwhile, while this is going on, you can see in the window there's a little black speck moving across. And it turns out that this is the Liberator. So just before they go out to pass sentence, uh, the Liberator attacks Space Command and scores a du- very conveniently to score a, uh, pretty much a direct hit on the room where the uh, trial's being held. Travis manages to overpower a guard and dive heroically out of the courtroom just before it gets sealed up because uh, the hull gets compromised in the room and so the airlock closes to seal the trial room off. So everybody else in that trial room is dead. Yep. Seymour, Thania, Burkle, Rontaine, they're all dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Travis gets cornered by Parr and in, in a very telling scene, I think we'll get to later, instead of merely killing him, um, uh, Travis knocks Parr out. He then bursts into Servalan's office, holding her at gunpoint, 
and uh, basically demands that he gets given a pursuit ship and the uh, the firing circuits for his gun arm. And basically, uh, Travis is going to uh, continue hunting for Blake, while uh, Serverland is essentially going to be hunting for Travis as well as Blake, because Travis is now, is now going to officially be a fugitive. Mm. So uh, Serverland gives him a, a Federation ship and a crew full of mutoids, which he has pre-programmed to obey the orders of the first person he uses a code word. Outlaw. Outlaw, yes. And so uh, Travis escapes. Uh, Blake has scored a successful blow for uh, against the Federation. And then Avon and uh, Blake have a little discussion about uh, some of the things that Zill said. And Avon says, well, I wish I could have met this Zill. It's not every day you meet a philosophical flea. Then Villa says something stupid. And Avon says, well, actually, maybe they're more common than we think. And then everybody laughs, like at, like at the end of Thundercats. <laughs> yes. Or, or He-Man. Everyone had cake. <laughs> oh, Orko. <laughs> oh, Orko, you space wanker. Oh, God, I hated Orko. Mr. Wilson. Yes. Your thoughts on this? Uh, this is... One heck of a patchwork of an episode. Um, essentially, again, like with a lot of Blake 7 episodes, you've got two separate stories that have a very kind of loose bridge that connects the two of them. But one of them is awesome and reminds you about the best things about the show. And the other one is terrible and reminds you of the web, which is yeah. shit. Um <laughs> <laughs> because here's the thing with with the trial aspect you're going right back to the very first episode which was all about Blake essentially in a you know in a show trial um and you know facing his fate whilst at the same time you've got callbacks um to the very first Servlan and Travis episode sleep locate destroy where we know Travis has done these crimes. Um, the you know the recurring guest characters know that he's done these crimes. Serverland definitely knows that he's done these crimes. Um, so now it's coming right back around after Serverland is finally making Travis her ultimate scapegoat after having done it in more minor ways throughout. And it's so interesting watching it happening to Travis because, you know, there is nothing likable about Travis, but it is really interesting watching him deal with this, especially when it's Servalan putting him through it. Who, I mean, you know, he's always he's had a bit of an antagonistic relationship with Servalan, but even in this episode, they've they've stuck together because Servalan recognises his worth to her. Because, you know, even though Blake somehow gets away one way or another, he's still that much better than anyone else she has to call upon. And as much as tells um, Thania, is it? Yeah. Um, but he may be mad, but he's not stupid. Or, or words to that effect. Um, so, that was really good. 
And then we get Zill. And oh. that entire... It's, it's, it just reminded me of the web all over mm. again. It's like Blake is on this planet for little reason meeting these incredibly unconvincing aliens whose sole purpose is to annoy, and you can't help thinking that the other half of the episode is that much better. Um, I mean, I, lo- I, mean, yeah, I mean, Blake is down there for a great grandstanding self-pitying sulk. Yes. Basically. Yes. <laughs> and, it's, and it's just such a convoluted way of... of Dealing with the problem. I mean, it's it's oh, it definitely is convoluted. <laughs> it's like I'm going down there. You can leave me if you want to. Oh, I, I'm not going to take it. In fact, even when you know Blake's trying to be as open as he can be with his his answer phone message, what um you know what Villa and Callie see as a contrite kind of almost apology from Blake. Um, Avon sees a self-pitying hubris. It's like, oh, did you really swallow that? And, yeah. you know, you've got Jenner in the middle who doesn't really know what to think, which is consistent. I, th- I think the reaction from the Liberator crew is c- incredibly consistent um, with their characters. Oh, well, yeah, I think the, like, the stuff with the, liber- the rest of the Liberator crew still on board, yeah, yeah. I think is really good. And I do like the fact that Gan's death has consequences, because really they kind of ran out of time at the end of Pressure Points to really fully mourn his death. Yeah. yeah. They looked at an empty chair, but that was about it. Um, so I like that this kind of underpinned the kind of drama that was going on on the limb. Uh, on the Liberator. That being said, it's just that I was so much more interested in the trial aspect and everything that Travis was going through compared to this self-pitying bullshit of mm. Blake. And Blake even calls himself out on his own BS because he says, oh, well, the next time I feel like that, I'll just go to my cabin. Yes! You wasted a lot of time. And you nearly got yourself killed. I, tell you, I, I wish they had left him there. Be humble properly. <laughs> Even when you're trying to be humble, you're still an asshole. <laughs> just putting yourself in convoluted danger. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. It just sort of makes you so ambivalent because half of it is pretty good. It is. It really is. And then they try and, they try and reenact the web, <laughs> which is shit. <laughs> oh my god, we've broken Ian. <laughs> How can an episode that isn't the web break me? I don't know. Uh, oh. I mean, I think it goes to show that the level of the... Because, I mean, the actual bits with Zillion has got to be, what, 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 10% of the episode, if that? Oh, it felt longer. But, yeah, but it, it is so unremittingly shit that it's one of the things you walk away remembering. Yeah. Talking about the trial. Yes, please. I, 
I would say that in all defence, because we have ragged on Cosby Travis quite a lot, but I actually thought Brian Croucher wasn't too bad here. I I'll go on. But I thought Travis was amazing in this. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> I'm saying this about cosplay Travis, not actual proper Travis. I mean, I mean I, as much as I would like to have seen actual Travis in this episode, I actually think that Croucher actually sort of steps up to the mark on this one. And while he's still not as good as Stephen Grief would have been, he's Definitely sort of upper level for me for the previous couple of appearances. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. I, th- I think this is the kind of episode he can really get his teeth into. Because if you think about Weapon, Cosplay Travis was just a kind of irritant at the size. Yeah. You know, he wasn't really a, a, a central figure. And he kind of stepped up a bit more in Pressure Point. But in this one, He's given so much to chew on that he's really good. And I'm I'm actually trying to picture Stephen Green doing this material because for as much as I love that version of Travis, his emotional gamut wasn't huge. And I think that Croucher actually had the kind of range to actually do what was going through Travis's mind in this one. Because you do see I, many sides of Travis in this. Absolutely. I think it's it's just that if season one didn't exist, or if Travis was introduced in this season, then I wouldn't have a problem with him in this at all. No. Not, not for a second. Um, yeah, he was... It's that really good scene when Paul visits Travis. Hmm. And the exchanges they have. Yeah. And the, the fact that, you know, Tra- Travis is immediately suspicious of the situation. And at one point he says to Pa, sort of like, sort of, faithful trooper, beloved officer, not quite how I see either of us, really. So, he, yeah, he, <laughs> he's sort of self-aware enough to go, like, like, this entire situation is bullshit. You're clearly trying to get on my good side when I've given you absolutely zero reason to. And he was still harsh enough to say, stand to attention when you're talking to me. Yeah. You know, he's like, even though... I think maybe it's it. Maybe it's because he's been hanging around with Servalan so much that he is in that more kind of subservient position. Yeah. Especially when his status from the first season has been downgraded in such a way. And you saw how Travis Prime kind of dealt with that in the last two episodes of the previous season. He was like, he was more reserved and slightly more humble, or as humble as Travis can be, but still obviously the same character, whereas in Weapon and Pressure Point, he was more a kind of henchman, really. Whereas in this one, because Servlan is distancing herself from him, he gets that opportunity to shine as a character. And it's almost as though that, you know how Servlan wasn't really all that evil until right at the end of the previous season because in some ways they were building Travis up that much more yeah. it's kind of swung the opposite way this season so it's really only now that we're getting to see Travis kind of realise his potential indeed this actor playing Travis realise what 
he can do with the character. He's actually much better at the quieter moments. Mm, yeah. But the, the bit when um, Pa's leaving and he, he says to Travis, like, are you going to report me, sir? And Travis says, oh, I won't worry about it, Pa. It's not like anyone would, would believe it. And then after Pa walks out, he sort of says to himself, no more than I believe it myself, you know. He's like, he, he can't quite believe he's just had like a bit of a chubby conversation with one of, with like a, a rank-and-file trooper and it actually went all right and he, he hasn't been poisoned or whatever. Well, there's also the double meaning that he doesn't believe it because he can see through it because yes. he, he knows it's like Thania trying to be subtle but ultimately failing. Yeah. Because, you know, Tra- Travis, for all his faults, does know a lot of the tricks of the book. Well, it, it just goes back to um, Servland's description of him. He may be mad, but he certainly isn't a fool. Which I think is quite apt. I, I do love his speech in the trial. I mean, it's, it's complete BS defence, but at the same time, <laughs> it's yeah. sort of like Travis goes, you know what, if I'm going down, I'm going to say my own bloody words. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of meta in some ways because, you know, he knows he's doomed. Yeah. But he also knows how he can make it as bad as possible for Serverland. Yeah. Because he, he knows she'll be watching in. Yeah. Well, I mean, Serverland says as much, doesn't she? Exactly. Um, so, <laughs> um, so essentially, he makes it as bombastic as possible because, you know, again, like... With, with him being the dark mirror to Blake, I mean, Blake didn't stand a snowball's chance in hell in the first episode. He no. was always going, even when he was blatantly innocent, and his defence lawyer was doing his best to get him free. But <laughs> in in the, one of the most ironic things ever, Blake actually manages to save Travis's life. Yeah, completely by accident. Oh yeah, absolutely, and one he'll never actually realise. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah. um, uh, when Travis has got Serverland by gunpoint, he sort of says, like, do, do you know who it was? And Serverland says, oh, we think it was Blake. He's like, really? I must remember to thank him before I kill him. <laughs> oh, that last scene there. Again, I, I think this just epitomises what, what he's capable of. Yeah. Because finally, he has one over Serverland, and, um, you know, she can't come out of it the victor. I mean, I don't think you actually mentioned when you were doing it that um, as soon as Servland does what he asks, Travis says, I'm going to make sure that you know, this can never happen again. It's like, we're not finished. Yeah. So it implies that he actually absconds with her or at least has a move out of her office into a lesser place of safety. Yeah. Well, yeah, overall, I think, yeah, Travis is fantastic. And I never thought I'd you know, say that about Cosplay Travis, to be perfectly <laughs> But, um... Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd kind of forgotten how good he is in this episode. Yeah. But it's, um... I mean, I want to go back to something that I'd, I've talked about before, about how you know, I've always enjoyed their, when they showed the, you know, the little people in the Federation, just the rank-and-file guys. That little opening conversation between the two... Um, Troopers, Par and uh, I think Lie, the other one. Yes, yes. And yeah, this is two minor characters. You like you don't see, you, know, you never see them again. 
Well, you see Par again. Well, I don't think Par's dead, is he? Because Travis sort of punches him out. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they've they've missed the airlock, so, yeah, he's he's not in direct harm. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just two troopers just chatting idly about their day. I mean, one of them wants to sort of sign up for... Uh, I mean, clearly one of them just sort of signed up and wants to sort of see some action, and the other one's like a, a more hardened veteran who's seen campaigns. And it, very quickly those two characters are set up, and the, the, both of them are sort of like um, sort of slightly amused at the politicians who don't quite understand how the security works. Yeah. And it's a really good way of showing how the Federation works, because, I mean, Parr says to lie at one point, well, you know, who, who cares what the, those senators think? You know, everybody knows that Space Command really rules the Federation anyway. And yeah, we, look, yeah, <laughs> we, look after, we look after our own, we do our job, and yeah, the rest of the Federation hangs on us. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's a really good way of showing how the Federation is viewed from these guys who are just, you know, just grunts. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a very interesting insight, absolutely. And you know, with the the, the whole security system, just as we're talking about it, I mean, it's it's a very fair point because you know we've um, seen Clone Master Fen. And, you know, the ability for people to be duplicated that way, or indeed, um, in Project Avalon, Travis's own cloning project. So, you know, they <laughs> no, you can't just assume someone is who they say they are. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's something that we'll see, we've seen in the series before, and we will see again. And it's a really good way of uh, sort of scene setting. And just give you little nuggets of how sort of the Federation works. It just expands the universe that much more. Yeah. It's like there, there are more people than just the Liberator crew and Sterblan and Travis and whichever guest stars show up. You know, there's there are layers to the Federation that obviously Blake is not going to appreciate. Yes. But also, I mean, there's the fact that the Federation, even though they're all conquering or whatever, they, they at least seem to have a public face that they want to maintain. And as such, they're trying Travis for war crimes. I mean, you'd think something that was essentially a totalitarian regime wouldn't especially be going out of their way to try their own sort of troopers for war crimes. But I'm, I'm assuming that they have some sort of public face they want to... Because we've already seen how um, like in uh, Shadow how the President of the Federation publicly wants to be seen as very morally upright by standing against crime, even though he's actually running it. So it, it seems to be like uh, there is very much a, like a duality to the Federation. There's, there's the public face they try to present of being sort of the upstanding moral guardians or whatever, and then there's the reality, which is all sort of controlling crime and implanting evil ideas in innocent children and massacring people and all this sort of thing. So they really does sort of layer the Federation out a lot more. They're not, they're not just, you know, the baddies, the, the yeah. black hats. Mm. A lot well, you, I suppose you wonder to what extent everyone's on suppressants, because, as we saw in the first episode, that most of the citizens of Earth are. Yeah. But, as a guess, uh, most of the soldiers wouldn't be. And, you know, that would slow you down, a bunch, a bunch of stones. Well, stuff. exactly, exactly. And, you know, you, 
you wouldn't want like a kind of large scale mutiny on your hands. You'd want to prove not just to your soldiers, but then to to all the neutral citizens out there and those yet to be colonised that if they can at least maintain a facade of respectability, then it works in their favour. So yeah. Uh... Overall, there's lots of good political manoeuvring. I mean, as usual, it's great to see sort of Burke on a Rontaine back. <laughs> and they're sort of like a, almost sort of bitching about, <laughs> about Servalad. It's like, like a right sort of pair of little uh, gossips. Uh, I suppose, unintentionally, uh, Blake helps Servalad out there as well. Well, yeah. yeah well, I'll take you out uh, because like, Rontaine's like, you know, one of the president's right-hand men, and they, in fact, they do mention they've been keeping an eye on Serverland because they're worried about her, her um, the level of her ambition. Exactly. Um, and you know, they very much see her as like a threat to the entire Federation. Um, <laughs> and they're absolutely right because she's looking in on them, and you know, perhaps if Blake hadn't done it, she might have found a way to do it herself. Very probably. I think, yeah, you, know, you can almost guarantee that they would have had accidents at some point. At some point, yeah. Maybe not immediately. Yeah, but at some time down the road. As she continued up the career path. Absolutely. But then, again, yeah, it's another example of uh, Servaland being a very good sort of political manoeuvre and, and schemer, but for her own ends. Mm. Perhaps not all that grace a commander in her own right. No. Oh, Kasabi was right all along. <laughs> Why didn't we listen? <laughs> oh, yeah. What was going on with that weird board game they were playing on the Liberator? <laughs> Some kind of oversized chess meets checkers on a dartboard. It's like no one yeah. was even talking about it. You know, it was, it was just sort of happening. <laughs> just a way to pass the time. So, do they just have some spangly props left over? <laughs> so, just move them around. Pretend you're playing a game or something. It was very almost implied that Jenna was actually outsmarting Avon at the game uh, at one point. Because they never say anything about it, but no. she does give him a look at one point. Going, like, oh, yes, I'm... pulled a killer move. Yes, I'm in the stronger position here. So... Okay, fair enough. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ultimately, wasn't very important. Speaking of things that weren't very important, yeah. um, Blake had a haircut. And also, I noticed that as an act of contrition, he's wearing regular sleeves. It, he's, yeah, he's kind of back to the standard Blake garb. They sort of streamlined uh, it a bit. Yeah, the kind of leather waistcoat. The good... I can only assume that his sleeves have become like a metaphor for his ego. <laughs> oh, that's good. His that's... sleeves have swelled to represent his ego, and now after Gan's death, he's back to regular sleeves because he's been knocked down a peg or two. But, oh, yeah, because essentially this is kind of the costume he was in right at the very beginning, where he wasn't even aware of who he was. And then you think back to the episodes where Blake did have these enormous slips. Like in the very beginning of this season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we may have stumbled upon something there, sir. I think, uh, uh, 
I'm not even going to share the credit. This is very much uh, your rev- revelation there, Mr. Prowitz. <laughs> you, sh- you should write a paper on it. Yeah, it'll be full of obscenities if I have to watch this episode again. <laughs> well, if I, if I, no, actually, no, I'll tell you lie. If I have to watch bits of this episode again. Yeah, I mean, really I... irritating about the whole Zill bullshit. Yeah. The fact that, well, one of the many things that's irritating is the fact that like, this stupid rubber chicken person <laughs> reignites Blake's fervour for fighting the Federation. It's the oh, yeah. Vive. And the yeah. thing was, right, it was a parasite. That planet had parasites. had every right to be killing the damn thing because it was trying to infest it. Yep. So, oh, okay. yeah, so, so Blake's taking his inspiration from parasites now, is he? Yeah, what does, what does that tell you? <laughs> Bellend. Uh, well, he oh, did like... Stupid Zill! He, he did like the walk things as well. Oh. To Avon's <laughs> dismay. <laughs> uh. Oh, I, I fear that the, the picture to accompany us on Earth 2 may have to be a picture of Zill. There are lots uh. of cool images from the episode, but there's no other way of explaining Zill without representing it visually. Now, that, now that's a bit, do you pick the images out for Mike, or does he find them himself? No, I, I, I send Mike the images. Right. I, do not send him Zill. <laughs> Please, I'm begging you. We want people to listen to this. <laughs> In that case, maybe I should find a picture of Servalad and her booby gecko. There we go. Or even in this episode, Jenna's outfit was slightly low-cut. Yes. Well, maybe I can sort of Photoshop the two of them together. So you've got one side got Servalad, <laughs> and the other side you have Zill, sort of representing <laughs> the highs and lows of that particular <laughs> episode. Pick your poison. <laughs> Win a date with Zill. <laughs> that, that's Patterson's uh, next punishment if he ever crosses you. It is. After tri- <laughs> the, the Zillogram. <laughs> I'll get to work. I I did feel for the poor actress playing Zill, though. Yes. She's had to sort of leap around doing sort of first year drama school stuff, basic movement. Now pretend you're a a space parasite who must constantly move to stay alive. I mean, bless her. From what I can see on uh, Wikipedia, um, she doesn't have her own page. So I, I, I have this awful feeling that that role just killed her acting career dead. Well, I mean, She's giving it her all. It can't be denied that she's giving it her she all. She is. She's doing it as it's written. She's committed to the role. Exactly. It, it's just bobbins. The role is terrible. It's arse clap. <laughs> should, we, should we get some feedback about this one? Oh, yes. Why not? Well, uh, Mitchell's feedback for this one is very simple. It says, my thoughts on trial... Thank God Zill isn't going to join the crew. Oh, That's gosh, it. yeah. <laughs> We've already got Orak, for God's sake. Oh, how, how angry will that be? They killed off Gan and they brought in Zill as a <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Were I a, a sci-fi nerd in the late 1970s, I would have rioted. Yeah. <laughs> 
And uh, Stefan says of uh, Trial, uh, Zild would win my award for the most obvious red shirt in the series, and I was relieved when she died. I pity the poor actress who had to try and keep a straight performance while looking at Big Bird's demented cousin. <laughs> cousin? Of the three storylines in Trial, this is the most unnecessary. And in the end, pointless, as Blake's lesson learned from Gant's death amounts to, hey, let's go blow shit up, brooding in my cabin is probably easier, and oh, why not save Travis while you're at it? At this point, it's obvious Blake's a sociopath and a fanatic. And that's his most redeeming qualities. Let Travis kill him and do us all a favour. On the plus side, we get to see a lot more of the inner workings of the Federation, the politics of the games that Serverland is playing. That, plus the debate among the crew on should I stay or should I go, make this episode worthwhile. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for taking us through these episodes, really enjoying the show. Cheers, Stefan. There's, there's our outro music. <laughs> should I stay or should I go? But yeah, get a bit of the clash on. Hey, any opportunity to download the clash? Yeah. Yeah, I did love that because Avon's sort of first rumblings of, well, he's probably run out of this. Well, we can stay here and wait for him, or we can just go off and become insanely rich. Vin as he is prick up. Goes, well, if he has gone, that's not supposed as much we could do about it, is there? And Jenna suddenly goes from tweener to face. It's like, oh, oh, just me. How can you think of that? Well, he's left us. Hasn't he, Jenna? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, mm. I think is. I mean, again, it's a kind of um, Avon and Villa team up. Yeah. And, and again, they they showed bits of that in Pressure Point as well. Um, but you know, because Villa didn't want to go down to earth. <laughs> but Avon's well, like, actually, yes. I'm just thinking, go back to Pressure Point. There's that line when they're in the teleport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's it's what just I was like, thinking. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'll be a big handicap, David. I'm used to that. <laughs> uh, oh, the quote you have to use, yes, or at least one of them, is um, the Avon's gadget works bit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll have Dave clip it in for you people for the the full context, but it's brilliant. <laughs> so, that right there is Avon and Villa. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I know they've become more the focal point in the later seasons, but whilst it's still Blake's show, this is brilliant. Yes. Do we have much more to say about this one? I mean, it's 80% good. Yes. At least 80% good. But the shit bits are so appalling... As I say, it's like it's a tapestry. The good bits are, you know, um, seek, locate, destroy, and the way back, and the zill pass is the web. Yeah, which is shit. <laughs> I should take a tally of this. How many times have I said that now? At least <laughs> what the web is shit four. count. <laughs> well, to be honest. I'm not getting very much in the bracelet count nowadays, so... <laughs> well, you know, we've, we've had four this episode. I think there's potential for more. That's that's more than we've had the entire series. <laughs> Patience, young Padawan. <laughs> so, well... 
I think we're suddenly running out of steam, so before we completely peter out, let's bring on the Who Count. Pressure point brings us uh, Jane Sherwin, who played Kasabi, played uh, Lady Jennifer in the War Games. Yeah. That was Patrick Troughton's last story. And uh, Yolanda Palfrey, who played Veron, uh, went on to play uh, a character called Janet in uh, Terror of the Vervoids, which is uh, also known as uh, part, uh, Twilight of a Time Lord, parts. Uh, Something like eight to ten or something like that. I've, 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 heard, bad, I've heard bad things about the vervoids. Well, their resemblance to sexual organs are, yeah. you know, what it it made Matt over the eclectic podcast coin the fr- coin the phrase vagina penis. <laughs> coin the phrase. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sue Bishop, who played a mutoid was uh, a member of the Sisterhood of Khan in the brain of Morbius. The awesomely named Ridgewell Hawks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> who played a rebel, uh, was uh, one of the sea-based guards in Warriors of the Deep, which is also shit. <laughs> oh, oh. Um, is that the one with the guy who does the really silly line? <laughs> which really silly line is that? Uh, nothing on earth can stand in my way. No, 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 no. that's um, the underwater menace. Ah, oh, water, you know. Yes, no, no, it, 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 it's an understandable confusion, but no. <laughs> the underwater menace. Yes. <laughs> I just realised what that was. Sorry, I, <laughs> I just suddenly got that. <laughs> I, 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 I did meet up with a dam last week, so <laughs> the memory's flooding back. Another water metaphor. Uh, Margaret Pilau, who played a mutoid, was a technician in the Silurians. And uh, we have two extra credits. The uh, Here we go. The legendary James Muir, who previously <laughs> appeared in Orac as a uh, Phibian. Are we allowed to count him twice? Well, the, the, the only people I, w- I wouldn't count more than once would be anybody who's in sort of main cast. Okay. But it, it turns out he actually has, a, according to IMDb, he has a more extensive background than I originally thought. All right. So, he played a soldier in the Time Monster. He played a soldier in the Invasion. He played a Muto in Genesis of the Daleks. He was a soldier in Terror of the Zygons. He was a brother in the Mask of the Mandragora. He was a worker in the Sunmakers. He was a technician in the Pirate Planet. He was a druid in the Stones of Blood. He was the Louvre detective in City of Death. He was a Mandarin in the Nightmare of Eden. He was a Formazi in the Leisure Hive. He was Gaztak in Meglos. He was, he was a Tharol in Warrior's Gate. And he was a police driver in Black Orchid. Gosh. He's, he's been about. <laughs> That's not for me to say and also, looking at his IMDb page, he also played the Vlaherg leader in the TV series of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. 
okay. And so that also brings us uh, Mr. Barry Summerford. <laughs> well, a name. <laughs> now, Mr. Barry Summerford <laughs> was a... He played the Golden Age Man in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. He was an elite guard in Genesis of the Daleks. He was a Vogan in Revenge of the Cybermen. He was a he was Private Thurston in Terror of the Zygons. He was a unit communication soldier in the Seeds of Doom. He was a security guard in the Hand of Fear. He was a steaming audience member. I beg your <laughs> pardon. Steaming audience member. Brackets uncredited. <laughs> Uh, he was a Shreve in the Reboss Operation, he was a guard in the Armageddon Factor, he was a guard in the Creature from the Pit, and he was a Foster in the Keeper of Draken. Overall, that brings us a Who Counts for Pressure Point of 7. Ooh. It's, it, it's a big hitter. Well, yes. So, for Trial. Now, you're going to like this first one, because I think yep. this is the person you're going to want to mention. Yep. Is a... Mr. John Savadant, <laughs> who played uh, Starkiller Seymour, was also uh, the squire in The Visitation. <laughs> and? <laughs> Take it away, sir. Carry on. He was Coronation Street's favourite butcher, Fred Elliott. He certainly was. <laughs> it's all sense and reason. And I was about... I was, before we started recording, I was going to try an accent out, and then I realised that I was kind of doing Jimmy Savile instead. <laughs> uh, so I decided to err on the side of caution and just not do it. Fair enough. So uh, we've covered these two before, but because they made a return appearance, uh, John Bryans, who played Burkholm, was uh, Torvin in The Creature of the Pit. Uh, Peter Miles, who played Rontaine, was uh, Dr. Lawrence and the Silurians, Professor Whitaker in Invasion of the Dinosaurs, and Nida in Genesis of the Daleks. Now we get to Mr. Henry Fielder, who played a Federation trooper. Are you, are you going to credit all the extras with the word Mr. before them? I, I feel I should do them that honour. <laughs> it's only fair. Go ahead. So, Mr. Henry Fielder was Central European Guard in the Enemy of the World. He was a wheel member <laughs> in the weird space. He was a guard in Planet of the Spiders. He was a Vogan in Revenge of the Cybermen. He was a guard in the Seeds of Doom. He was a guard in the Deadly Assassin. He was the second assassin in the Face of Evil. He was a Titan <laughs> Enemy. He was the Levithian Guard in the Rebos Operation. He was a guard in the Armageddon Factor. He was a Tegelan in Megloss. He was a security guard in Castro Valva. And I believe he was a steaming guard in... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was a steaming pile of guard. In uh, Time and the Rani, I don't know. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of steaming piles in Time and the Rani. <laughs> Zing! <laughs> and also we have Mr. Derek Southern. <laughs> There's that mister again. Yep. Who was a, a path lab technician in the Hand of Fear? He was a Mentiad in the Pirate Planet. He was the Gracht Guard in the Androids of Tara. He was a mutant in the Armageddon Factor. He was a guard in the Creature from the Pit. He was a Mandrel in the Nightmares of Eden. He was a guard in the Halls of Nyman. He was an Argolan guide in the Ledger Hive. He was P.T. Davis in the Logopolis. He was a cricketer in Black Orchid. He was Man in Market in Snake Dance. <laughs> 
He was a trombonist in the Twin Dilemma. <laughs> he also played a hotel guest in two episodes of Forty Towers. Oh, well, there you go. But that gives us a who count of five for trial. Yeah, very good. So, should we uh, think about taking this on, taking this thing back home? Because, you know, we had to re-record half of it because my recorder dropped out and it's getting quite late. Shush! They're not <laughs> meant to know that! They, don't, they shouldn't know it's taken us twice as long as it normally does to record <laughs> this episode. They needn't know the behind-the-scenes trauma. <laughs> that is to say, yes, Dave, let's get to the end. <laughs> so, Mr. Wilson, what's shaking over at if 2net Shake, Shaking and a-blaking. Um, <laughs> shaking and a-blaking. <laughs> it's a whole new catchphrase sorted out there. There you go. There we, go. we we need to record a promo with that, <laughs> <laughs> like a fifties rock kind of way, um, well, which which is a brilliant segue actually, because uh, we have a new podcast on Earth Two dot net. Um, it's only just uh, started airing. It's called Dropped D, um, in which uh, two of our regular podcasters, Mister. Desmond Reddick, most famously of Dread Media, and uh, Mr. Damien Wilkins of, oh gosh, um, Extra Lives, Tranquil Tirades, and now Drops a D, I suppose. Um, essentially, uh, what they're doing is they're coming together uh, to review every album that a set band they pick uh, has released, and they go for it track by track. Uh, to try and give it uh, a rating out of however many uh, tracks are on this album. Uh, they've just started, and um, essentially the the way the numbering is working is that um, for for the first band, they're doing uh, an American rock band called Tool. I, I, I've never heard of them. but uh, I, I have heard, heard of them. Apparently, apparently they're quite rocking and, and big. <laughs> In, in, in the American states. And um, uh, they've just done the very first uh, release by Tool, and that is episode 1.1. 1. 1. Uh, so the next chronological album will be episode 1.2, and so on and so forth until they get to the end of uh, Tool's back catalogue. And then they will choose a different artist, and then it will be 2.1, 2.2, etc., etc., and uh, this is going out every alternate Friday because our big uh, film podcast, that is Better in the Dark, has moved to Thursdays, partially to plug the gap for Married to Movies, but partially because it fits in a bit better uh, with the schedules of Tom and Derek. So um, essentially we have our Tuesday slot back to... Um, one alternating podcasts every Thursday and Sunday. Um, and also just on the main um, podcast, and indeed the site as, as a whole, um, all geeks will be aware that uh, of late, uh, the comic book company DC has decided to reboot most everything that it puts out. Um, and so uh, Mike, Michael David Sims, beloved webmaster and um, all-round good egg, um, has gone into... He's got back into doing, like, solo reviews that he's, 
he hasn't really done for an awful long time, but what he did was uh, he decided to go through each last issue of uh, the post-crisis DC continuity and just uh, review them out of five. And even though he is a self-proclaimed Marvel zombie, for the most part, he's quite fair and above board. And considering other people on Earth 2 have decided just to give up buying comics altogether when faced with the DC reboot, um, that's probably quite admirable, (laughs) all in all. Uh, So that is the new stuff that's been going on. Well, over at Geek Planet, we also have a new podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the wonderful voice of Mr. Jim Moon and his Hypnobobs podcast have, uh, oh. have have moved home and are now uh, set up in brand new shiny digs at Geek Planet Online. Oh, wonderful! So, if, oh. You, if you haven't heard the the lovely soothing voice of Mr. Jim Moon, once described in a very accurate way, as basically being audio horlicks. <laughs> Basically, Jim uh, does podcasts on a variety of different things. He's done a series of podcasts covering the complete history of Batman. Yes, yes. Very full and very detailed. Uh, He's recently finished a special on uh, Edgar Allan Poe, the cats of Edgar Allan Poe specifically. Mm. And he's done lots of stuff with uh, Vincent Price, and uh, depending on the show, he'll either look at the the background or something, or he occasionally does some readings of short stories as well, some of, again, Edgar Allan Poe and other sort of great horror writers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's basically just a really great podcast, and we're really happy to welcome it to Geek Planet. That is quite the coup, sir. Uh, I'm a very big fan of Mr. Jim Moon, and uh, who, who's sent us in feedback for this show. He has, yes. I very much um, recommend... Uh, it's Hypnobobs, isn't it? Because yes. I, I sometimes get confused, because Hypnogoria is his site proper. Yes. Um, in which he puts up... Uh, a number of fine articles as well. Um, he, he likes to review uh, current Doctor Who and uh, and many more. Well, films he, he's he's reviewing like. Torchwood and stuff as well at the moment. In de- I've I've not been watching that, but I've not heard brilliant things. Uh, it's not terrible. I mean, no, I won't even get into this discussion now <laughs> because <laughs> I'm not. Otherwise, I've got to add an extra twenty minutes to the, to the podcast talking about Torchwood. We'll, we'll we'll talk about it off air then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Detector contact extreme range grid five. Six ships, standard Federation patrol path. Bearing one nine four. Have they picked us up yet? Maintaining patrol pattern. Holding one nine four. Put them on the screen, Jen. Mistress, Haven's gadget works. I never doubted it for a moment. Is something wrong? It just occurred to me that as the description of a highly sophisticated technological achievement, Avon's gadget works seems to lack a certain style. So, thank you for listening to us whitter on for another month. Uh, next month, the month of October, we will be doing two more episodes. Those being killer and hostage. So, uh, until that episode airs, I've been Ian Wilson. And I've been Dave Probert. Thanks for listening to Shake and Blake. Goodbye.
to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? If you say that you are mine, I'll be here till the end of time. So you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? It's always taste, taste, taste. You're happy when I'm on my knees. One day is fine and next is black. So if you want me off your back, well come on and let me know. Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble. And if I stay, it will be double. So come on, let me know. This indecision's bugging me. If you don't want me, set me free. Exactly who I'm supposed to be. Don't you know which clothes even fit me? Come on and let me know. Should I cool it or should I blow? Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now?